Good morning. Would you turn your Bibles with me this morning again to 1 Timothy chapter 5? And would you please stand with me again another time as we read God's Word together? Let's read 1 Timothy 5, 17-25 this morning. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidences of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only wine, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning again around this text. And you have appointed this text for us this morning as we are working through the pastoral epistles. We thank you for the instruction that you give us here in the building and maintaining of an eldership. And Father, you have called our church to this as well. We pray that you would help each one of us to take these principles to heart and that it would be a great blessing to each one of us, to, to our entire church family let all of the things that we are learning from this epistle, from the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul, that all the things we're learning be taken to heart and that it would shape the life of our church and more and more, that we would, we would be building one another up and that our church as a whole would grow up into the image of Christ as You have planned for us to. Father, we pray that You would be glorified in all that we would depend upon the ascended Christ who is seated as Lord and reigning by His Spirit. We would depend upon Him in all things. Uh, every one of these principles and commands that we would look to Him to strengthen us and enable us and that He would be glorified in it all. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning we're going to continue our series from 1 Timothy 5 on the building and maintaining of a biblical eldership. Last week we took some time to look through the New Testament and really notice the many responsibilities that are given to elders uh, by Christ as He appointed them over His church. And as we looked at those, the reason why we took the time to look through those many responsibilities is because I wanted all of us to really see the, the importance, the, the critical role that God has given elders uh, for the church and how how critical their influence is on the, the body of Christ, every local body of Christ. And we are, we are working toward that together. We're praying for that. And we have been laboring and working toward that for, for a long while now and asking God to supply to us 
uh, more elders, that we would have a plurality of elders to oversee our local body and to care, to care for each one of us according to His will. And so because the elders have been called by Christ to lead the church and, to, and because they have that tremendous impact on the spiritual well-being of the local church, it's important that each one of us, myself and each one of you as members, uh, take great care to follow Paul's instructions here to build and maintain a, a biblical eldership for, for our assembly. And it's not that ultimately we're the ones who are doing it, but Christ, Christ, the, the ascended Christ is doing that in and through us. And so we respond to His commands and trust in Him to accomplish His purposes in our lives. The Apostle Paul charged Timothy in this letter to go about the restoration of the eldership in Ephesus. As you look at the letter, when you look at Paul's letters, you you really can assume that what he addresses in these letters by way of correction, it has its, has its beginning in needs that he saw in the particular church. So for example, I think we can safely assume as we look, look at the letter of 1 Timothy, that the eldership of the church in Ephesus had gone wrong. And the church had followed in that errant path as well. And so in this letter, we, we notice that Timothy was charged to, to, to call the leaders, the elders, the teachers, to stop teaching false doctrine. That's in chapter 1. He's also uh, charged to remove women from the office of, of elder. It, it's apparent that there was some sort of a issue going on in the church at Ephesus because he addresses in, in chapter 2 that women ought not to have the role of elder. So it could have been that, that women had begun to take that role in the body of Christ. Chapter 3, uh, Paul is, is charging Timothy to ensure that only qualified men were given the office of elder. And then in chapter 4, uh, we see that Paul calls Timothy to leadership and excellence in service as one of the elders, and certainly that should be uh, the role of all the elders as well. Now as we know, in chapter 5, Paul gives Timothy Three instructions, three principles for properly building and maintaining the eldership, a biblical eldership, and, and really each individual member of the body of Christ is, is to own those instructions. These are, as, as, you, as we will see as we go through this section over the next couple of weeks, and this week as well, we'll see that this is something that all of us are to take part in. All of us. The members and the elders that are, are, are to be responsible to work together in the unity of the Spirit and by the power of Christ to honor diligent elders, to rebuke sinning elders, and to affirm prospective elders in the way that Paul says. Each one of us have a part in those. And so this morning we're going to look at just the first principle, verses 17 and 18 is what we're going to cover. And the main idea... And you can see that at the top of your notes, it's also right here on the screen. Let us give double honor to an excellent and diligent elder. And as we begin, let me say that, that I am not preaching this message this morning in order to campaign for a bigger salary. <laughs> this is one of those texts where it is uncomfortable for an elder to preach. Okay? 
and I think you can understand that this message really, honestly, is as much for my own heart as it is for yours. It really truly is, and I want you to understand that because we all work together to properly honor every elder that God would give, into our, would give to our church. It's just as much my responsibility to seek to honor other elders as it is yours. I'm a member of this church too. And so that's how I'm giving this message this morning. It's, it's, I simply want to teach all of us what God says about the honor that must be given to elders. Because the entire membership, including each individual elder, must have a heart that desires to honor any elder that is truly an elder that God would place over a local church. And I want to say too how thankful I am for you for providing for me and my family. That has been a blessing to us. And, and, and how hard you work to do that. God has provided for us through you. And so I am grateful for that. Genuinely grateful. Especially, I can say, even over this last year that we have had our needs have been so much greater and how many of you have really gone far above and beyond to meet our needs and to do God's will in that way. So I'm grateful and I want you to know that as well. And so let's all draw around this text this morning and ask Christ to give us the heart that loves and desires to honor the elders that He appoints for this body. I, 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 I assume, I mean, I, I anticipate that there are going to be more elders than me. Let's be ready for them. Let's ask the Lord to teach us how to honor those elders and however He chooses to do that in our lives. Let's, let's be ready to do that. That is a very important principle in building and maintaining a biblical eldership. So, the question that I'm coming to as we, we look at this main idea, what do we need to know? What do we need to know in order to, as this text says, double honor an excellent and diligent elder? That's that may be kind of a... We don't use that term a lot in our conversation. When was the last time you used the word double honor in a conversation with a friend recently? What does that mean? What are we talking about here? Well, I have three points I think that will be helpful for us this morning. Number one, the honor. How is an elder to be honored? Let's talk about that word. That is a key word in this entire text, because if you'll remember, what was the instruction that Paul gave to Timothy back in verse 3? Honor widows too. Right? That's a very similar concept going on here. So as we talk about this, this word honor, the command here, let them be considered worthy of double honor. First, letter A, I want you to understand that all elders are to be honored. All elders are to be honored. This text does not teach us, Paul is not teaching here that some elders are to be honored while other elders are not to be honored. This text teaches us that some elders are to be double honored, and really that implies that all elders are to be honored in some way. What does honor mean? It means here, I think, as we look through the New Testament, and particularly if you just look up the definition of this word, it has to do with respect, esteem, to love, to highly regard. 
Those are some of the words that you'll see in some of the verses that I'm going to refer to. Christ calls us to have this attitude toward every elder, provided that they are actually elders. That's the issue here. It's the elders that God calls us to honor. And they do qualify, and according to the, to the qualifications that Christ has given to us, then they are to be honored. And that's, that's perfectly fitting with other texts in the New Testament as well. Would you turn to me, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? And we looked at this text last week, but it's particularly helpful with this theme of honor. And I want you to see that God calls His church, Christ calls His church to honor every elder that He appoints to serve and lead the body. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 Paul is talking to the Thessalonian people and he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he's pointing to the elders there by what he, what he calls, or how, he, how he names the responsibilities of this person. Those who labor among you, who are over you, Right, who rule, right? That's that's the idea there, and who admonish you. That's the role of an elder. Those three responsibilities. And so the response of the body there is to respect. You can see that there, at the beginning of verse 12. And what else? To esteem them, verse 13, very highly in love. So this is this is another way of talking about honor to respect, to esteem them highly, to love them. Why? Because of their work. That's the issue. That's a very important part. That's the reason why you honor an elder. It's because of the work that Christ has called them to. Christ has called them. Christ has gifted them. Christ has qualified them and positioned them as His under-shepherds. That's His choice. And He has called them to a, a task that is very intense to care, to spiritually care for the souls of those for whom He has shed His blood. And so for that reason, because of their work, they are to be honored. You see this same sort of concept spelled out again in different words. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders. Again, speaking of elders here. Those who spoke to you the Word of God. That's the role of an elder. Someone who leads or rules and teaches and preaches. Just like this text says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Those, those are expressions of honor. To remember them to consider them, to imitate them. Those are expressions of honor as well. And then also in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's the role of an elder. This is again, describing that office as those who will have to give an account. They have to give an account for their care, their watchfulness over your soul. And so let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you can see the role and the duties of an elder described here, but then the, our 
response as members is obey, submit, and to do it in such a way that the elder receives joy and not with groaning. Very, very important there. Those are expressions of honor. So my point in, in, in saying these ver- in pointing out these verses is simply that every elder is to be honored in some way. But then letter B, notice, and from this text, and this is really where Paul is going with this, some elders are to be double honored. Double honored. That's what you see here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Now, what is that? Well, here's where I believe Paul is going with this. The word honor can also mean remuneration, wages, financial support. That's where we get our word today, what? Honorarium. Right? That's, that's where this comes from. And the reason why we can safely say that in this context, this double honor includes wages or financial support is because it's in the context already. 1 Timothy 5.3. Remember we talked about how widows are to be supported, right? Widows who are truly desolate, truly alone, are to be supported. And that wasn't just to, to wish them well by a, a good attitude, but really to, to support and to meet their, their physical needs in this life. But other texts in the New Testament use this word honor referring to finances as well. So this isn't an unusual thing. Matthew 27, verse 6 and verse 9, both use that word honor to refer to money or a price. In fact, in that context, it was referring to the money that was paid, for, or that was paid to Judas for handing over Jesus. Price, one verse translates it. Money in the other. Both of those, the same word as this word right here, honor. Acts 4.34, where the church would gather together to meet one another's needs. Some would sell their houses and lands, and then they'd bring the proceeds of those sales and share their goods among the people of the church. The word proceeds there, guess what? Honor. It's the same word. Teme is the original language. It's all the same word. So this word honor can mean an attitude of respect, but it can also mean remuneration. So some elders then are to receive not only the attitude of honor, but with that attitude are also to receive the wages of which his work is worthy. Let them, let these elders, be considered worthy of double honor. So not just respect, but remuneration. And I think that's why it's called double honor. Because it's not just referring to the attitude of respect, but also then the act of remuneration. So this is what Paul is talking about when he says some elders are to be considered worthy of double honor. Number two this morning, let's consider the elder. Not just the honor, but the elder. Which elder is to be double honored? So this verse then describes it as the ones who what rule well and those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now there's some confusion, I think, that can happen from this as well. And, and let's talk about this. Again, letter A, all elders rule and teach. Right? There's, there appears to be sort of two 
facets going on here. Rule, and then preaching and teaching. Now, last week we covered the duties of an elder, which are given in detail throughout the New Testament. And we could all see from the Word of God that every true elder is to be qualified by godly character and God-gifted skill. And we see that particularly in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Through the elder's character and skill, he shepherds the people of God by leading them, guiding them, feeding them the Word of God, caring for them, protecting them. And and all of that, remember we made this point too, all that an elder does, he, he does for the members of his church by speaking and teaching the Word of God. He doesn't rule or take up authority from day to day from his own personal opinions or person. He has authority to lead and guide because he speaks and teaches the Word of God. That's where he derives authority from. And so from day to day in his people's homes and in the assembly, he speaks the Word of God. He speaks the Word of God. He calls his people to obey the Word and holds them accountable to do so. So when an elder teaches... He speaks the Word of God. And that's why every elder must rule and teach. Rule and teach. So again, remember the, the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. You have all the, the character qualifications, but remember what it says. He must also be able to teach. But in this text, Paul is calling our attention to elders among elders. So as I look at all the qualifications of an elder, all their duties, I see that every single one of them must both lead and teach. That's just the role of an elder. So, so Paul is calling our attention to elders among elders here. Some elders rule well. This is, this is really the distinction that he's talking about. Some elders rule well, and some elders really labor in their preaching and teaching. Now, now here's again, let me underscore this point again. I don't believe that Paul is saying that there are two different kinds of elders in the church. That there's elders that rule and elders that teach and preach. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing here. And, and, and there, the reason I cannot see that is, again, because of the qualifications that are given for every elder in chapter 3. They include able to teach. I don't think that's, that's the uniqueness of being an elder. is that you must be able to teach God's Word. And additionally, those descriptions and duties of an elder given all throughout the New Testament require that every elder rule and teach. So I don't think Paul is drawing a distinction here between ruling elders and teaching elders. Like, ruling elders, yeah, you don't have to double honor them, but the ones who preach and teach, those are the ones you have to double honor. I don't think that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. He's not, I don't think, drawing a distinction between ruling elders and teaching elders. I believe that the distinction that Paul is making here is between elders who rule and preach and teach and elders who rule well. The the, the adjective is the distinction. Those who rule well because they labor in preaching and teaching. And in fact, I'll take it even one step farther here. I don't think that Paul is I don't see I don't see this phrase as dividing the duties of an elder between ruling and preaching and teaching 
as if those are two distinctive activities. For example, I believe that when Paul says that some elders rule well, he's adding a descriptive phrase with those who labor in preaching and teaching. That's what it means to rule well. And so, the word especially, just like 1 Timothy 4.10, could be translated, that is. And this is really helpful to understand. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, that is, those who labor in preaching and teaching. So the ones who rule well are the ones also who labor in preaching and teaching. That's why they rule well. The elders who rule well do so because their labor in preaching and teaching sets them as the, we could say it this way, the first among equals. That's a phrase that you might hear often as these texts are talked about by other preachers as well. The first among equals. And therefore, the reason they should receive financial support in addition to respect. Now, let me, let me qualify this a little bit. This is not to say that there are some elders who are bad <laughs> or even sinful in their ruling or preaching and teaching. Right? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, if an elder's ability to rule and lead and teach and, and his skill in preaching and teaching is considered bad or sinful, then guess what? He doesn't qualify. Right? He doesn't qualify as an elder. So Paul's not disparaging other elders here. He's not degrading some elders or belittling any elders by this command. He's simply stating that some elders will, by God's grace, rise above other elders in their ability, in their skill, in their gifting, in their labor. It's just like any believer. Not every believer is gifted in the same way, right? Not every believer is gifted in the same level of skill in certain church or, or, or ministries of Christ. And that's the way it is with elders too. And while all elders must be honored, some should be given what Paul calls double honor here. Not only respect, but remuneration for their work. Now why? Why would he do that? Just think practically about it for a minute. Because they labor and consequently rule well. And that makes sense because if a man does well in his ability to rule the people of God because he labors hard at preaching and teaching the Word, he should be paid to do so. That way he can spend all of his work hours laboring in ministry and have his needs and his family's needs met by payment from that labor. Doesn't that make sense? If God has positioned a guy and gifted him to do this and he just loves it and he works hard at it, well, then meet the guy's needs and let him go. But not every elder has to be like that. That's what Paul's saying here. Some are gifted and desire and work harder at it. Let me give you a few other key points here that will continue to fill out Paul's intent here. First, I want you to notice this word worthy. Let the elders who rule well, those who labor in preaching and teaching, that is those who labor in preaching and teaching, they're worthy. Let them... Consider them worthy of double honor. That word worthy means fitting. Or we might use an older word is meet. Uh, deserving. In other words, we shouldn't think of this as giving 
the elder a gift. This is simply that we're giving the elder what he deserves because he works hard. Just like anybody who works hard at something and you pay them for it. You know, someone, someone gets done remodeling your house and you, you pay them for their, for their labor. Well, you don't feel like you're giving them a gift, right? They deserved it. They worked hard. And that's the way it is with here, with, with this as well. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ who, who view the, the pastor as someone who sits at home all day. He's got just lots, all kinds of free time. And so whenever you pay him, it's like, here, let me just give you a little bonus. Well, well, if, if that's the way he's operating, well, then he, he shouldn't be, he should be paid the double honor, right? But if, if, if an elder is laboring, well, you're, you're paying him for his work. And so then, let's look at that word, well. You know, what does that mean? It means excellently, nobly, commendably. The elder who is worthy of double honor does his ministry duties with excellence. He's not perfect. Nobody is, except for Christ. But he does his work with excellence. It's praiseworthy. Why? What proves and produces that excellence in ministry? Well, the grace of God is at work within this elder, and that has positioned him to labor. Let's look at that word. That, lab- that word's helpful too. Labor. Those who labor. What does that mean? Well, it means to work to fatigue. Toil with exhaustion. He works hard in the task that he's been given. And that word uh, throughout the New Testament is often used for physical or manual labor, even the work of a farmer, that word is used for. We always view a farmer as someone who is one of the most hardworking people that we know. Their job is never done. They're up early. They're to bed late. They can't get away. They've got so much to do because they're tending to the life of, of their animals and to the life of the ground that they've been given. But this word is also used to describe the mental, emotional, and spiritual labors of a spiritual leader throughout the Scripture. For example, 1 Corinthians 15. You can turn there with me if you like. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses this word describing himself. And again, I like this verse because Paul points to the grace of God being the source of his ability to labor. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 the Apostle Paul writes, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked. There's the word. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And I like this verse for, for a couple of reasons in this context because Paul sees himself as someone who is the first among equals as well, among the other apostles. He said, I, I labored harder than any of them, any of the other apostles. But it really wasn't me. And what, what does Paul point to? The grace of God at work within him. So, those are two really important parts here that I, that I think are explained well in 1 Timothy 5, 17-25, is that not every apostle or elder is going to labor to the same degree. Do you see what I mean from what Paul says there? They're not going to labor to the same degree. God's grace will be at work in one differently than another, and we'll as a church need to recognize that and say, I think this, I think this man, this elder, let's consider not only giving him respect, but remuneration. 
He is working hard and it shows God's graces at work within him. So, that's one part of this. There's another text I think is helpful that uses this word labor um, as a farming illustration and applies it to ministry. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You can turn there with me as well. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. So 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, again, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is pointing to the grace of God at work within a minister. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's one part of the work of an elder, is to multiply elder, other elders in the body of Christ. Verse 3, here's another role of an elder, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. That's the same word there. Hardworking farmer. He ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this kind of God-enabled labor is what sets some elders as the first among equals and causes them to rule well and therefore become worthy of double honor, that is, respect and remuneration. So first of all, let's just review for a minute. What is the honor that is to be given? All elders are to be honored, but some are to be given double honor. That means not just respect, but financial support. Secondly, Which elders are to be double honored? The elder. Okay, all elders rule and teach. Paul isn't making a distinction, I don't believe here, between the elders that rule and the elders that teach. As if some don't rule as much and some don't teach at all or whatever. I don't think there's a distinction there. I think he's calling, I think he's pointing to an elder who rules well by laboring in preaching and teaching. All elders rule All elders preach and teach. Some, by the grace of God, do it well because they are given grace to labor in their work. Now, finally this morning, why should that elder be double honored? Why should we care for our laboring elders in this way? And this is what we see in verse 18. Number three, and final point here, the reason. Why should that elder be double honored? Well, first of all, the most obvious thing I just want to point out here is letter A, the Scripture says. Did you see that? Verse 18. For the Scripture says. And I don't want to race through that four-word statement. There is some really great things just to point out right there. Paul appeals to the highest authority to develop this principle which the church is to obey when he says, for the Scripture says. The highest authority that we have is what? The Word of God. The Scriptures. Right? That's the highest authority. The Word of the living God. And 
just point out a, diff, a couple of additional things here as Paul shows us the supreme authority. I love four. It just makes the link between the command and the reason tight. Do this. Why? Simply because the Scriptures say so. You know, sometimes I think it's good to just settle back on that point and just say that's why we do what we do sometimes. We don't always understand every nuance to the things that God calls us to do. But do we have to? We don't have to. All we need is the Word of the living God. He says. Simply because His Word says. That's that's more than enough reason, is it not? And then there's something else I really like about this. The Scripture says. That verb, alright, if you love grammar, you'll love this. That verb is, is a present active verb. It doesn't say the Scripture said. The Scripture says. What does that mean? If, 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 if Paul says the Scripture says this. It, in other words, let's say it this way. God is still speaking today. Isn't that wonderful? God is still speaking today. This is, this is something He continues to tell His church right now about how to behave as His household. God is saying this. The Word is saying this, even to us. Not just to the Ephesian church several, several years ago, but now as well. He is saying this. And also, let me remind you of this special word, Scripture. Scripture. That is the word that the Bible uses for itself to properly designate its own title. When the Bible says, this is what I am, it uses the word Scripture. It is the sacred writings that come from the very mouth of God. That's what Scripture means. The sacred writings that that come from the very lips of God. This is God-breathed, inerrant, authoritative, infallible, sufficient word. And you better know it, whenever we come to a statement like this, I'm going to point it out because I want you to continue to believe in the authority, inerrancy, and sufficiency of Scripture. Paul doesn't miss those sorts of things. We do these, we do all the things that Christ tells us to do as He builds His church because the living God is speaking to us, His church today, and this is what He says He wants for us, for our good, for His glory. Now notice also, what Paul says is the Scriptures. This is helpful too. This will fill out a little bit more your idea of inspiration. Which books are inspired by God and how do you know? Well, Paul is referring to two passages here. The first one, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Where does that come from? Well, you can probably look in your footnotes. And you'll see that it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25. So there's the Old Testament, right? Deuteronomy, the, the fifth book of the Pentateuch. But the second phrase, you know where that comes from? Well, again, you could probably look in your notes and see that it comes from Luke 7.10. Paul is quoting the words of Jesus as he instructs people in in. The, the group that he was talking to there. And he is quoting almost exactly from the writings of Luke. Well, that's fitting 
for Paul, right? Why? Well, because who was Paul's missionary partner? Luke, right, was his missionary partner. But I, I love that because Paul is pointing not only to the words of Jesus and saying, those words that Jesus spoke, guess what those are? The Scriptures. Do you see the connection? Paul is saying Jesus' words are Scriptures, but also he's saying what else is Scriptures? Luke's writings are Scriptures. So all these connections are just golden when you see these in the Bible. When you see the apostles writing inspired Scripture saying that's also Scripture and that's also Scripture, grab hold to those. It will fill out your, your confidence in the authority and inspiration of Scripture. So, and he's putting, Paul is putting Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the sacred Jewish writings, on the same level as Luke. Those are equally Scripture. So this is, this is a wonderful principle here that, that, that Paul implies to us. So Paul, being inspired by God, sets the words of Jesus, the writings of Luke, the fifth book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy, all on an equal level as inspired Scripture. Now, what does the Scripture, what Scripture does Paul appeal to here in order to give us principles for giving double honor to laboring elders? Well, let's look at these pertinent texts. First, Deuteronomy 25.4, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. I always thought that was a little bit of an interesting comparison when you're talking about paying an elder. What are you saying, Paul? Elders are like oxen. No. Certainly, as many farming cultures did, the, the people of Israel would scatter their newly harvested grain onto a threshing floor. You can picture this in your mind. Uh, which, and that threshing floor would often be a massive, very level rock, sometimes set into the side of a hill that was just put there naturally by God. And certainly up on the hill would create lots of wind for that, which would be helpful for this process as well. And so the oxen would be led onto that surface with the grain already on that surface, and, and they would, the oxen would also be pulling a, a really heavy sled. And so the oxen's feet and the weight of that sled would crush the grain and release the kernel. And then the wind, because it was high up on a hill, would often blow and there goes the chaff. So a wonderful process that would be done right there. And so God gave His people instruction, even with this, that when they perform this activity, that they weren't to muzzle the ox, but let the ox eat from the grain that he was treading. Let him, let him be rewarded in the work that he's doing. And he'll work well. He'll continue to work well for you. The Apostle Paul appeals to this same text in another letter, and there he actually gives more detail. And let's, let's look at this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul appeals to the very same text here as well. And you'll see it's very, very clear Paul's point as we read. You'll see it. He, he begins to apply it to himself and to his fellow apostles, but then really speaks to anyone who lives, gets their living by the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1, 
Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? See, Paul is defending his apostleship in this text. And he's talking to these people who were being led astray by false teachers. And he's, and he's like, why are you following them? They're just trying to take advantage of you. He says, I want you to remember who I am and what I do deserve or have the right to as an apostle, but I've given up so that I can serve you well. That's what he's saying here. He's, other apostles have taken a wife. Other We need to eat and drink too. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Think about building an army and saying, all right guys, you're all going to pay your own way here. Is that okay? Give your life and pay your own way. That's not going to go very well. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of its milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Here's Paul's reference again. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Doesn't that make sense? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So Paul's point is again, if we have given you, if we have have threshed and labored spiritually among you, it's only right that we should receive material things to meet our needs. But then Paul says, okay, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. It is a right. It's good. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. You see what Paul's done there? It's amazing. He says, I, 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 it's right that I should get a living, that I should, that I should be fed by you, but because I want to minister to you without putting an obstacle in your way, I'm going to do it for free. I love that about Paul. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Verse 13, Do you not know that those who, who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Verse 14, here, here's the summary of the principle. In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That's it right there. That makes sense. Now, the second reference that Paul appeals to is Jesus' words in Luke seven or Luke ten seven. The laborer deserves his wages. 
And in that text, Jesus isn't referring to oxen. He's referring to farm labor who's, laborers who work for hire. And he's just saying if he, if he works hard to provide food for his boss, then he should receive the provision that he deserves. So here's Paul's point. If the oxen is to be provided for through its work and receive payment from those its labor feeds, and if the farmer laborer is to be fed through his work and receive payment from those his labor feeds, then most certainly the elder who rules well by laboring and preaching and teaching is to be provided for physically by those he labors to provide for spiritually. That's the idea. That's Paul's simple point. And that is what the Scriptures teach. And that's why we say, let us give double honor to an excellent and diligent elder. That's Paul's point. Now, in closing, let me just mention a couple of practical considerations. First of all, I just want you to notice, and particularly from Paul's text in 1 Corinthians 9, and 1 Corinthians, actually another text you should write down is 1 Thessalonians 2. Both of those texts talk about how Paul gave up that right though. And that's okay too. We may have an elder sometime who says, you know, I don't need it. And we say, wow, you, you labor. You're doing this well. and You're giving, but I don't need it. Maybe, maybe we'll have someone like the Apostle Paul who says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going I'm I'm to work with leather. I can do both. I can do that. And that's not wrong, right? The, the, the elder or the apostle has the right, he has the ability, the freedom to, to not receive it for special reasons that the Lord may, may put on his heart. That is not wrong. Okay, so I just want to mention that as well. Secondly, an elder may receive payment for his work, but let's be careful with this too because you, you, may, you may hear this or see this at some point. But that double honor does not imply that the, that the elder is to have the most luxurious house in town, nor is he to have the you know the, the newest BMW off the lot, right? Or be able to go take vacations you know to Hawaii whenever he wants to. That's not what it's talking about. It's simply talking about providing for an elder's needs so that that he has what he and his family need to live and. We also like to say that so that he has enough to meet his own needs and also obey the Scriptures to be able to give to others as well. That's important. That he can be generous as we are all able to be generous. Thirdly, this, this consideration of giving a double honor to an elder is very important because, let's think of something about this practically as well, because if a church desires to have an excellent diligent eldership, caring for them with great devotion, then those who labor well like this and labor in preaching and teaching, they must be provided for and enough to meet their family's needs. Otherwise, if they're not, then what's going to happen? They're going to have to look elsewhere in order to stay qualified as an elder because they're called to, to provide for their family, right? And manage their own the needs of their own family. So if we can provide well for them like that, then they won't have to do that. And secondly, those elders that labor well, if they have what they need to live, they won't necessarily have to be distracted 
with other work in order to meet their own needs. That can be an important part too. You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to give all my time to this and I don't have to, to try to, to, to supplement from some other source. It's critical for the building and maintaining of a biblical eldership that an elder who rules well by laboring and preaching and teaching be given that double honor. That can be a very important blessing to a church. And then just to, to, to sum this all up, let's bring it back to the main point of the Apostle Paul. Where does, where does this kind of family love come from? Now think about that text again in Acts 4. Let me read it to you. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I look at those verses and I say, that's the church, isn't it? It's not that we, and that's the thing, it's not that we just as people make sure we, we provide for the needs of an elder. We, we look to each other. Don't you share with each other what you have? We do, don't we? And we help each other to get along. We make up the differences sometimes. In a big way, sometimes. That's life in the body. Where does that kind of love come from? Doesn't it come from our Father? Because we're His household? That's exactly where it comes from. It comes from our Father. It comes from our older brother. Just like it says, 1 Timothy 3, 14-16, we're God's household. We're the church of living God. He pours His love into us through the Holy Spirit. And the kind of love that Jesus had we can have too. John 13, 34-35, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I just want to close things up today by, by encouraging us to be praying about this as a church. All of us. All of us. That the ascended Christ will fill our hearts or continue to fill our hearts with that kind of love so that we can work together, not only to meet one another's needs, but as the, the, the Spirit of God affirms and appoints additional elders to our church, that we would be ready to give them the kind of honor that, that He would command us to give. And before I pray, let me just ask you, do you know that kind of love in your heart? It's a great thing to be loved by God. Do you know that He loves you like that? Do you think of that? Do you know firsthand the love of God as a Father? See, I like to remind myself of this and, and you as well. There's only one person's love that we need. And who's that? God. It isn't, doesn't it just sometimes set us on a, a crazy journey when we're trying to, to, to make sure other people in our life loves us? And can we make people love us? We can't. We cannot do it. But we don't need their love either. They're commanded to give it, right? That's true. But we don't, the only one person that we need their love is our Father. And His love fills us. It is an infinite love. It's a glorious love. It, it's, it's a love that is perfect. 
And the only way that you and I can truly have the love of God as a father is if, if we're His children. Are you His child by salvation? If you're not God's child by salvation, you don't know this love yet. But I want you to know. I want you to experience that. Listen, listen to this description of that love. 1 John 4, 7-12. through Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. This kind of love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, like this, does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. There's the definition of love right there in action. God sacrifices His own Son so that we might live. God sacrificing for the good of another. That's love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the, the appeasement of His own wrath for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I just want to say, if you're here this morning and you don't know that love because you're not yet a child of God, nothing can come close to, to the joy in that love. Turn from sin. Turn from your self-righteousness. And come to your Father. Come to God and ask Him to be your Father. To take your sins and put them on His Son. To take His wrath and pour it out on His Son and to give you His Son's righteousness. And you will know that love too. If you don't, you need to. Because and that's, that's the finale of, of all existence. That's what Jesus prays for all of His children. That we would know the love of the Father eternally like He does. It's a wonderful thing. I don't even have words to describe it, right? Do you? <laughs> we just have to read the Scriptures and believe it. And that love can be yours in Christ. Well, let's stand together and pray this morning. Father, we thank You for Your instructions to us in the Word. And we thank You that You have filled us with the Holy Spirit so that we can experience Your love through one another. Thank You that I have experienced Your love through the honor that this local body has shown me. And Father, we, we thank You that You have put Your love in our hearts. Help us as we anticipate the receiving of more elders. Fill our hearts with a love that desires to honor them because You have positioned them. You, you have affirmed them. You've gifted them. And You've, you've laid upon them the, the, the heavy task of watching over the souls of those people for whom You sent Your Son and He shed His blood. And so, Father, may we show honor. Fill our hearts with that desire. May it be a joy. May our relationships continue to grow and may, may our spiritual care for one another be a tool in Your hand to cause us to grow up together into the image of Christ for your glory, for our joy. Father, if there is someone here this morning or even listening online who does not yet know Your love in Christ, please help them, Father, to see the emptiness of the pursuits that they have 
followed their whole life up to this point, and, and, and that they cannot find a satisfying love from another person. But only your love can satisfy. Only your love can remove their guilt, their sin, their punishment, and give them righteousness and joy and peace and everlasting life. Father, may they turn to You in Christ. Receive the person and saving work of Christ and rest in Him and rest in Your promises. Father, we thank You and we, we praise You. Keep working in us for Your glory, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.